Well, good morning, church. Back in the early 2000s, uh, I was in college. Actually, I was in college for the better part of that decade, but story for another day. But back in, back in, the, in the 2000s, um, it was at that point in time where um, poker began to become really popular. Uh, if anyone remembers that time, uh, ESPN, you know, of all places, you know, starts showing the World Series of Poker as if that's a sport in some way. But if you, as I think back on that time, poker began to get really popular. In college, I began to play poker along with a whole lot of people. My friends, we'd get together and have poker games. And of course, poker is still popular. But during that time, as I'm looking to play this game and I'm putting money on the line for this game, I start to learn really how to play it. That's Texas Hold'em was the popular game. So I look, I watch things online. Certainly I watch the World Series of Poker, but I start following people because I start looking to learn the game that I'm playing just like anything else. But when there's something on the line, it would be foolish to not understand really how the thing works. The game that you're playing, if there's something on the line that can cost you something, we should understand what it is that we're playing. So as I'm looking and I'm watching and I'm learning this, I recall something that, that one of these pro poker players would say. And it always stuck with me for some reason because maybe it just kind of, it was that statement in a way that kind of put me in the place where in the mindset I needed to be to play this game. But he says that his job or his purpose in playing this game, his role as he plays this game is to put the question of someone's chips in every, every hand he plays, make someone be in a position of whether they are willing to go all in with everything they have. To put the question of all that they have in front of them, are they willing to push that all into the middle of the table on any given hand? But likewise, he has to prepare himself. Is he willing on any given hand to push his chips all in? Now, as we talked last week, and we talk about this idea of being all in, we can understand when it comes to poker, and I certainly can understand, money is on the line. So if I'm going to push all in, I know what I'm risking to go all in. But as we talked last week, there is a certain level of fear that keeps us back, keeps us in a place where we don't really want to go all in because we're afraid or we're anxious about the thing we're going all in for. Am I going to be successful in this thing that I'm going all in for? So specifically when it comes to poker, yes, does my hand, is it going to be successful? But I need to understand my hand as it relates to this game before I will push everything all in. So for our time this morning, last week we looked at the fear that can hold us back, but I want to look this morning at what it is we're going all in with. What do we go all in for? What does it take to go all in? And throughout our lives, there's a myriad of things that we go all in for. We can go all in on our education. Maybe you're a student in here this morning and you know, you're, you're looking to make good grades. You want to get into a good school or a good college after high school. So you're all in on school. You're all in on getting your grades right. So you're working hard. You're studying. You're putting forth your time. So what does it take to be all in on your education? It takes time. It takes mental focus. When you get into college, depending on what you want to do, it does take and require money of you. But after college, if your focus is that... Then you get to your career, and then we can go all in for a career. We can put all of our time there and our energy, mental focus, of course, that goes to 
a career. But what else does going all in for a career take? Oftentimes it takes a certain level of sacrifice. Our physical presence, our bodies are required to go all in on a career, depending on what we do. If you're in the trades in some way, your career is a tradesman, your body is put to work every day to be all in on that career, to develop in whatever way you deem to be. We also go all in in relationships. In our relationships, they require a certain level of devotion, do they not? To be all in on a relationship. Another place that we go all in on is the church. What is required of us if we think about the idea of going all in for the church? Of course, our time, our energy, our focus should go there as well when it comes to going all in with the church. It certainly takes devotion, but it also takes our will. It takes a large part of our desire. Caught our soul has to be in those things as we go all in with those things. In Matthew chapter 22, we've read this verse many times over. Over the last handful of weeks and series, this verse has come up often. But let's read it again, and we can see, as Jesus points out, where we are to go all in and how we're to go all in, and what are we going all in with? Pharisee says to him, says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. In Mark's account, there's one other thing he adds to it. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he says, also with all your strength. So we see that, if, that, that the commandment is to love the Lord your God, but the idea of going all in in this area requires certain things of us, and it's all of us. In these things, education requires our mind, our career requires our will, and it requires our body and our strength. Church is our devotion and our will or our soul. But there's a fourth thing in this list that is required, that, it's, that, it, that it encompasses all of those things. When we think of going all in with all of our whole person. Just this past week, I watched a, a documentary, and uh, it was about Barry Sanders. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that or not. If you've come across it, it's worth a watch. Um, but Barry Sanders was a NFL running back um, back in the 90s. And he was a phenomenal running back. Uh, arguably the greatest running back that's ever played in the game. If he would have continued on in his career, he would have broke every record. He would have set the record. Fantastic running back. But this documentary, I liked it because it, it just gives the, the account of his life, what, what got him into the NFL and his career. But it answered a question that many people back then asked is, why did he retire? Because if you don't know much about Barry Sanders, he had 10 years in the NFL, but it, he was 31 years old roughly. He was at the height of his career, and he just walks away from the game. At one point in time, this NFL running back, this Heisman Trophy winner, he was all in in this sport in every way. And then one day he just walks away from it. But he was asked eventually, why did you walk away? And his response was, he says, the passion that was there was no longer there. Essentially, he would say his heart was no longer in it. And I think we can all relate to that. 
We can all relate and understand there are things in our life that we can walk away from and we can justify walking away from a thing with saying in some form or another, our heart just wasn't in it or the heart just wants what the heart wants. But there are, many, there are many horrible things. There are things that we should have stayed in on that we didn't stay in on. And the reason for us walking away became our heart just wasn't in it. That becomes a justification for many a very foolish decisions in our life. And even for me. But for Barry Sanders, I'm not questioning his decision. If his heart was not in a thing, he was no longer all in. But what is it about the heart that drives us to a thing, that connects us to a thing to such an extent, it becomes the reason why we're no longer all in for that thing. As we think about loving the Lord your God, the greatest commandment you and I have is to love the Lord your God. And the qualifier for that love is determined by the whole person with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. So what things do we go on for? Well, we go in all in for anything, really. But what will it always take? It will take all of us. It will take the whole person. So this morning, I want to talk real quickly about soul and mind. There is a lot that can be said about those two things and going all in with our soul and our mind. But our focus this morning is going to rest on our heart. And we'll see why here in just a minute. But the soul, what is, it, this, what is it that we're going all in with as it pertains to our soul? In the Greek, the word is suke. It's the word where we get our word psyche. But it's the seat of the feelings. It's our desires and affections. But first and foremost, this word means life. Our soul is our life. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and following, he says, And calling the crowd to him and uh, with his disciples, he said to them, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So we think there, as far as going all in, there's, you can mark that. What does it mean to go all in? Take up your cross and follow him. What does it mean to take up your cross? That's a lesson for another day. I encourage you to go study that one. But mark that, note that. But what does he say in verse 35? He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Who will save his life, his suke. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. Verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Same word, suke. For what can a man give in return for his soul? The answer is nothing. But the takeaway here for us this morning is that we think about loving the Lord your God with all of your soul. This is your entirety of your life. And our life is a thing that is unending. Yes, these physical bodies die, but our life continues on. Our soul continues on. And it goes to one of two places in the end. When our soul, when God breathed life into us and gave us a soul, it is an unending soul from that point forward. It is our life, and it is meant to, as we look to love the Lord our God, be part of all of us that is given over to him. But it's unending, and it is eternal. So he says, if you would save your life, you should lose it. What does that mean to lose your life? You give up what you believe is yours and you turn it in. You go all in. You give that life over to the one that would command it. And that's how we would save it. 
Now, mind is the anoia. It's simply our understanding. It's our ability to perceive. So if we love the Lord our God with all of our mind, we love him with all of our understanding. Everything that we take in runs through the filter of our love for him. And we respond to the things that we learn and the knowledge we have and the understanding we have in a way that would honor him and love him. Ephesians 4, verse 17 and 18 says this, Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. It says they are darkened in their understanding, diakonoia, or dianoia, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. The word for ignorance there is agnoia. So if understanding is dianoia, agnoia is a, a lack of understanding. So when we think of ignorance, it's not, the, it's, it's not an inability to learn. You just lack the understanding. But he says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You see how these things are connected to our heart. He says, you should walk away, testifying the Lord that you must don't walk as the Gentiles do. Don't walk as the sinners do. Don't walk as the unbelievers do. If you are here and your life is in Christ, you've put your life and your trust in Christ, and you call yourself a Christian, a Christ follower, he says, follow Christ. Don't act like your former self that was ignorant, that was darkened in their understanding. But the reason for the darkened heart and the lack of understanding and the ignorance is a hardness of heart. For you and I, when we come to a place where we're, we're, I'm struggling to understand what the Lord wants me to do in this. Anybody ever ask that question? Come through life, and what is the point of this? God, what's your will for my life? I don't know what to do right here. And we feel as if our understanding of our situation hits this wall. Most often, a good check down for you and I, if we hit a wall in our understanding, if we have God's word, if we have his people, if we have his spirit living within us, and we believe that we've hit a wall and we don't know how to go forward, the first place we need to go to check is our heart. Is it hard in some way towards something? And is it giving us an inability to understand the things that God desires for us to understand? But that drives us back to loving the Lord your God with all of you that encompasses your soul and your mind. But the main culprit, the main focus of that is our heart. So let's talk about the heart. Cardia. As our physical heart is the center of our physical body, it is also the center and seat of our spiritual life. The center and seat of our spiritual life as it is the fountain and seat of our thoughts, our passions, our desires, our appetites, our affections, our purposes, our endeavors. Everything that we do comes as a result of our heart. It comes out of that place. Acts 2, verse 36 and 37. This is uh, Peter. He goes out at the day of Pentecost and he gives this sermon uh, to all the people in the city. And this is their response to what he says. He says, he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. He's telling them, you've crucified the one that was sent to save you. And how do they respond on hearing the truth? All of a sudden, their darkened hearts changed. 
All of a sudden, understanding began to be made available to them. In verse 37, why was it available? Because now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They weren't cut to the mind. They weren't cut to their soul. They weren't cut to their strength. They were cut to the heart. The centermost place of their spiritual life was hardened, darkened to the truths of the Lord until the truth laid bare on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit fell on God's people and they were cut to the heart and their response to that. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Such is the response of our heart. Whenever we hear the truth and we seek to respond to the truth, our response is what do we do? And that is upward here. It's outward to Peter. Peter, I hear you teaching. If you come to me as a pastor or Brandon as a pastor, anyone who teaches, if you're in a journey group, to your journey group, journey group leader, if you're cut to the heart in such a way on anything that you're facing in this life, it should prompt you to ask, what do I do in response to that cutting? If these people on that day would have stopped right there, if they were just cut to the heart and they hear this and they don't respond, what do we do? I don't believe that they were genuinely cut to the heart. That indicates a continual hardness of heart if there's not a response to what we hear. So how does the heart respond in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10? Paul says this, he says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So where does salvation begin? It begins with the Lord, but it's an understanding and condition of our heart. Belief happens there. It is the spiritual center of you and I. But note now what's connected here to your heart is also our mouths. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus, he's speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? You can't. It sounds good, but it's not good because you're evil. And he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure, treasure brings forth evil. So the condition of our hearts is what matters most. Above all else is the condition of our heart. Because out of that place, out of that center, comes everything else. The way we come to salvation is the Lord, the giving of His Son first and foremost. But when we come to an understanding of what He's done and a humbleness and softening and position of our heart, then from that heart we confess what we believe and Scripture says that's when salvation comes. But it's a result of our heart when we're cut to that place and we respond to that. So why is that? It's because of what it is tied to. What is our heart tied to? Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says plainly, He says, For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The reason why this is, it's the spiritual center, but the reason why it's required of the heart to believe and be positioned to the Lord and softened towards the Lord is because of what else it's tied to. And it's tied to anything else but the Lord. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question is, what is your treasure? 
If we think about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, but I struggle to do that, what does that really mean? Start to question where your treasure is. What are the things that you treasure most in this life? Where does your time go? Where does your energy go? Where are you going all in at other than the Lord? Becomes an indication of the condition of your heart. And once you determine the condition of your heart, the cutting begins to happen and it should prompt a response. But if we're not understanding the condition of our heart, there's never any movement. We're going to continue on darkened, lacking understanding. So why does God want all of your heart? Because it's tied to everything else. God wants all of you and I. When we think about going all in, God knows it starts right there. He knows the condition of our heart apart from Him. But let's look at what God's Word says about your heart, my heart, apart from Christ. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says very plainly, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The implication there is that no one can understand it. Except he who searches heart, according to Romans 8. He who searches hearts knows the mind of the heart, and that is the spirit. He is the one that knows the condition of your heart, but what does he say about your heart apart from him? It is deceitful above all things. So the heart wants what the heart wants. If we follow after that logic alone, that's the most foolish and stupid thing we could do under the sun. Is to follow after a heart that God's word says is deceitful above all things. Why would you trust your own heart if you understand that is the case for your heart? It is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Things that are desperately sick, what do they need? They need medicine. They need help. They need healing. The glory of the Lord is that he knows that. And he made a way around that. When it comes to our heart and something that is desperately sick, we look to that and we think, well, we need to find healing for that heart. Yes, we need to find healing for a thing that's sick. But what does the Lord do when it comes to our heart? He doesn't just heal our hearts. He gives us a new heart entirely. Ezekiel chapter 36. He says very plainly, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God puts forth this law. He puts forth his rules. He puts forth his commandment. And mankind in our deceitful heart proves our inability to be all in for him in the way that he requires of us. So he makes a way for us that he says, I'm going to remove that hard, deceitful, sick heart from you. And I'm going to give you a new one. And not only am I going to give you a new heart, I'm going to give you my spirit to be with you. And I'm going to cause you to follow after and walk in my statutes. The struggle that you and I have to be all in with the Lord isn't a result of what He has done or the lack of what He does. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need to follow after Him, to walk in His statutes, obey His commandments, and have a life of abundance and blessing. And all of those things that we say we desire, but we think we can find them elsewhere. The reason why we don't receive those things from Him is because we're kicking against the goats. 
is we think we know better. We listen to the voice of this world instead of what God's word says about our own heart. We listen to a world that says, follow your heart. And it's foolish. And I have followed my heart into dark places, believing they're illuminated. Because they feel good for a time. It feels good in the moment. If it feels good, it's got to be right. You've been there? Where does it leave us? Jeremiah 31, 33. The writer of Hebrew quotes this two different times. Jeremiah says, for this reason, this is the Lord speaking. He says, for this reason, he says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. He says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Again, I'm not going to write it on their minds because we're prone to forget. I'm not going to write it on their soul. I'm going to write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. But here's what begins to get really important as we lean on this a little bit more. This is what the Lord has done for you and I. He writes it on our hearts. He's given us a new heart. He's given us his spirit. But he writes it, and now we store it. Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He places it there. We must store it there. If we remove it from our heart and just try and put it in our mind, our mind is going to forget. But when our mind forgets, if it's stored on our heart, there's the source. There's where we go to pull back out what we need in order to follow after him. So he gives us a new heart. We store his word in it as he gives it. And then we manage it. 2 Timothy 2.22 Paul writes to this young pastor and he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Flee a thing, pursue a thing. Flee your youthful passions. You remember when you were a kid and all the stupid things that you followed after? Say yes, please, somebody. Come on. Remember I said the better part of the aughts I was in college. Stupid things. But God in His grace brought me to a place to flee those things. And then pursue a thing, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But just as importantly, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Church, to be all in with the Lord is to leave something and follow after Him and pursue Him. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. These are not things that we have in ourselves. They don't exist in ourselves because in ourselves is deceit and sickness. Not righteousness, ungodliness, unrighteousness, Romans chapter 3. So we flee those things, we pursue Him and His things, and we call on the Lord with others from a pure heart. A heart that is made clean, a heart that is made righteous, a heart that is cleansed. How do we get cleansed hearts? 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you're in this room and you're in a place where you sense and you know you have a hardness of heart against the Lord, against his people, against someone else, whatever it may be, that's hindering you from going all in as you hear this message. 
There's no more ignorance. There's no more excuse. What's required of you and I is to be all in for the Lord. And if you have a hindrance to that right now, it's because your heart is hard. The way you begin to soften that heart is you turn it over to the Lord, but you begin to pursue Him. You flee these other things, and you look to purify your heart. And that becomes a result of confession to the Lord, naming your sinfulness. And He is faithful and just. He's not faithful and true. Yes, he's faithful and true. He's faithful and loving and all those things. He is faithful and just. He's just in that he promises to do a thing. If he promises to do a thing and we come before him and we confess this thing and he doesn't do what he says he's doing, he's no longer just. But he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That is for the unbeliever to salvation. That is for the believer to renewed fellowship. Because sin will always separate. But to renew our fellowship with the Lord and remove a hardness of heart is a confession of sin and find cleansing and a pure heart. So God wants you and I to be all in. I think that's made plain. Amen? Be all in. From a practical standpoint, as we look to wrap up here, I don't have a list of P's or a list of words that start with B, and I couldn't get that creative this week. From a practical standpoint, other than one D, the way you and I begin to turn our focus and become in a place where we would go all in with the Lord and our love for the Lord, it requires one thing of us, and that is devotion. Think of every other relationship that exists that you are in. For the married people in here, the spouses, the way in which you maintain that relationship and that marriage where it's thriving is devotion, is that you remain devoted to one another. If I'm not devoted to my wife, if I go days without speaking, connecting with my wife, what begins to go? As communication goes away, devotion goes away, all of a sudden intimacy goes away. When intimacy goes away, we're no longer emotionally connected. When we're emotionally disconnected, then everything that we do runs through a filter that is negative all the time, and we're believing the worst about one another. We're unable to properly communicate where we're at, and we get strained, and that relationship separates And then what happens? The worst begins to happen when we find ourselves out here, when we're lacking devotion, is we come to a place where all of a sudden, what are we trusting? We're not trusting the Lord. We're trusting our sinner, our center. We begin to believe a lie that our center now is in the right place because it feels a thing that ticks all these boxes of how we feel. We begin to listen to our heart devoid of the Lord. Because I can tell you right now, if you're married in this room, if your marriage and your relationship is strained, if you're lacking communication, if you're butting heads, if everything is running through a filter of negativity and you're arguing, you're bickering, bickering, you're fighting, If every word, if you're walking on eggshells, if that's your marriage right now, your heart is not positioned before the Lord in the way that it should be. 
It's not your spouse. It's you. It's me. We're not being devoted in the place that we should be devoted first and foremost. My day should start and end with the Lord. My wife is secondary to that, and she understands that. Wives, your husbands, you should understand that you are secondary to their devotion to the Lord. You should be. If you require first in that, you're going to lead your place, you lead yourself to a place where you're not going to thrive. Any thriving you have in your marriage is going to be settled on sand, not the foundation that it needs to be on. My day should start and end with the Lord, not my wife. But there are days where seeking to love my wife well, I can start and end my day with my wife. Next can come my children, rightly so, because there are things that we're devoted to. Absolutely. Throughout our life, under heaven, we're devoted to a lot of things, and we should be devoted to those things. We should be devoted to God's people, but all of these things are secondary to the primary devotion of the Lord because it's out of that devotion that all these things flow. When I think of that greatest commandment, we're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you don't first love the Lord and you're not all in in that place. We will fail in the other if we're not doing the first. That's why there's an order that is given. And note what he says. You're to love the Lord your God with all of yourself, all of your person in these things. Love your neighbor as what? Yourself. You're not commanded to love your wife with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind and your strength. If you do that, what's going to the Lord? Leftovers? When you put it like that, it rubs, doesn't it? You think about a holy God, the God of creation, that set eternity in your heart, in your heart. How dare my heart give him my seconds? Because it affects everything else. The Lord doesn't want to change your heart. He wants to give you a new one. Because the old one is that bad. So how to be all in is just to be devoted. Here's how not to be all in. Be devoted to anything else. Yes, there are things we need to be devoted to, but to be devoted to anyone, anything else above the Lord, your heart is now divided. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, he says here. In the Greek, it'd be money, it's mammon, treasure, or riches. But it's anything that's personified that opposes or is contrary to God. And anything under heaven that is not God, if that rules our devotion, we're setting ourselves against the Lord. You cannot serve two masters. So what are the warnings? As we walk through life and we experience life, well, there's warning signs that come up as it pertains to our heart. If it's our sinner, we think of our physical heart, there are warnings to when that thing's going bad. 
We should be mindful of those warnings. We're very mindful of those warnings as it pertains to our physical self, hopefully. We should more so when it comes to our spiritual life. But these are times of despair. If you're experiencing despair and you're anxious and you're worried like we talked about last week, recall, remember, Psalm 23, you have a shepherd that is leading you. He prepares a table before you in the midst of your enemies. There's no reason to despair. There's no reason to be anxious. There's no reason to worry. Fret not, little flock. Trust the one who you are entrusted to. John 16, though, when it comes to times of despair, take heart. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Note it. We all experience tribulation and trouble and difficulty in this world. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He says, do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. There's a sanctifying work that's happening in our lives. So the difficulty that we experience brings about that sanctification and Christ-likeness. So we don't lose heart in the midst of that. So in times of despair, take heart. Don't lose heart. But then also times of failure. When we're less than pure, when our heart is less than pure, these are moments and warning signs when we sense that. James 4, 18 through 10 says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. This is a thing that's required of us to do. It's a response As we're being all in and pushing those chips in and we're trusting the Lord, we purify our hearts. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I mean, that can seem like ugly language, but the position of our heart should be one of grieving. I've sinned against the Lord. We sin against the Lord before we sin against a person. But all time, oftentimes we can grieve hurting our friend. We can grieve hurting our spouse before we grieve hurting the Lord. But if we grieve that, if we had a godly grief, it prompts us to repentance. Confession and repentance. A worldly grief is I feel bad because I got caught. So to be wretched and mourn and weep is I've sinned against the Lord. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If we mourn our sin, we find comfort and forgiveness, and there is the purification and the cleansing. And then our joy is not within us. The joy and peace comes from the Lord. That is the lasting thing that we receive. So he says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. A couple other things as far as warnings. One is complacency. If life is good and you're riding the peak of life right now, do not guard your heart against complacency. The times in our life where we turn to the Lord is in the pit. It's in the valley, of course. That's the natural place. All of a sudden, the world just crashes down around us, and then all of a sudden, we look upward. And God's like, I've been here all the time. The whole time. So let's guard against complacency. And guard against a hardness of heart. Warren Wearsby said, The heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. So Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Springs bring life. 
to the area that surrounds them. What a spring flows through is a life-giving thing. We should understand is we're all in for the Lord and we guard our heart with all vigilance because flowing from that heart are springs of life. What we do as pertains to our all-in, being all-in with the Lord, affects the lives of others. When we're not all-in for the Lord, we affect the lives of others. We're, we're, just, we're, we're not one thing on this earth that doesn't affect others around us. So may springs of life flow from our heart that people respond to, and it calls others to go all in in the way that we are. And the Lord is glorified. We are blessed. But life is not always easy. There is always much difficulty. There is much despair. There is failure. Those things are always going to be present. I want to end with this. Um, an old familiar hymn. And I love just the words of it. And I want to read this to you and then we'll finish up. It says, Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to Thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. And seal it for Thy courts above. We don't have new hearts to have a great life here. Our hearts are sealed for His courts. One more verse from an old song you might get. Greater is one day in his courts than a thousand days elsewhere. May our hearts desire that thing more than anything else here. And we'll find ourselves going all in. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for, for a new heart. Lord, that you didn't, you didn't leave me with that broken down, angry, bitter, deceitful, wicked thing. Lord, that you didn't just mend it. You got rid of it and you gave me a new heart, Lord. But teach us, Lord, to guard that heart with all vigilance. Understanding what comes out of the heart proceeds from the mouth, Lord, and it either gives grace to those who hear or it brings down or it detracts away from your glory and what you would have others to believe of you and us to believe of you, Lord. Lord, we need your help. And it is a help that is ever-present, that is promised, that is given, that you don't leave us in any way to figure a thing out. You've given us everything that we need. And all that you require of us is all of us, Lord. But we are so prone to give ourselves away in so many other places. But if we would just but see, if we would give ourselves wholly to you, we would receive back 
everything that we need. Every desire would come underneath your will, not our own. And your promise is that then we would receive every desire we have. No question, no doubt, no fear. Only righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Things that exist only from you, Lord, and you promise to give them. Pray that our hearts desire to receive them, but understand and come to understand and see what hinders that receipt and teach us to lay that at your feet. God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.